below the waterline is a 250,000 year old mammal. And it's a meaning seeking, emotional, social story animal. If we understand just that at a fundamental level, we already have a decisive competitive advantage in the world. Welcome to Tractionville, the podcast for companies running on EOS. I'm your host, Chris White, along with... Benj Miller. And today we have a reoccurring guest, Scott Mann, retired Lieutenant Colonel Green Beret and founder of Rooftop Leadership. Scott, welcome back to Tractionville. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me on. So, you know, Scott, you have, uh, you, you mentioned to us before in a previous podcast that um, when uh, COVID hit, you and your leadership team made a decision to put some things you were working on on pause and you pivoted. And you have been creating uh, this video series called Leading Through the Chaos, and uh, you're doing weekly webinars. And I think I think you're up to number eight, somewhere in there now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, and, and these are fantastic. So this morning, um, I know that as you've been uh, working through this pivot, that you've kind of found that there's these four pillars that are emerging, and that's where we want to go with you today. So if you could talk to us a little bit about the genesis of that and then take us into the four pillars. Yeah, I mean, for Rooftop Leadership, the, the, the reason I chose that name is because as a former Green Beret working in Afghanistan, I helped put in place a program around 2010 that pushed Green Berets back out into the villages kind of a combination of Lawrence of Arabia meets Magnificent Seven, right? And and it's it's the real charter of what Green Berets do. It's how we're different than SEALs and other organizations is we actually live in a, and among the population of indigenous areas. And then we help them fight back. And in Afghanistan, for the first 10 years of the war, Chris, we had not done that. We had focused on walking the enemy down because, frankly, we were ticked off after 9-11. So we kind of forgot where we came from. And in 2010, we decided to get back to our roots and we, we started working with these communities, but these were very low trust, skeptical communities. These were places that like they had been through a lot and they were very slow in coming around, kind of like what I think folks are going to be after the all clear is given. Uh, a lot of fear, a lot of not sure where I stand. And so we had to work with these folks by building relationships and living in and among them. And then one by one, they would go up to their rooftop and they would fight back until eventually the entire community was, was firing back against the Taliban and you had a collective movement. And, and, you know, what I've come to believe the reason that worked is because we were relevant to the people in that village. We were relevant to their pain and we were relevant to their goals. And, I just never forgot that. And so when I founded Rooftop Leadership here at home, it was the same kind of thing. I looked around the country and this was pre-corona. I saw uh, a level of trust depletion and disengagement. And so, you know, how can I help business leaders become more relevant, right, to the pain and the dreams of their customers and their clients? And so to do that, we teach 
uh, I teach and we teach a, really a lot of the same principles that I still teach at the qualification course at Fort Bragg, our schoolhouse for Green Berets. And it really is around four pillars, human terrain, uh, which, you know, is, is essentially thinking about your arena of life and business as a topographic map, right? Humans are social creatures and we are designed to navigate the world by dealing with other people. So thinking about the arena, your arena, as terrain of humans and how to navigate that and, and, and to better understand what makes uh, humans tick and what makes our nature what it is. And then the second pillar is human connection. Once we have that unprecedented level of understanding that only like Green Berets and certain people have, what are the human connection skills that you can use to bridge those gaps that I talked about that we had in those dusty villages that now people are gonna have coming out of this COVID crisis? Right. How are you going to bridge that gap with your client now or a prospect in this uh, in this uh, this era of elbow bumps? You know, I mean, like, how are you going to do that? And then the third pillar um, is um, the, the third pillar is is deep work. And it's really built around all the practice and preparation you have to do to learn those skills. It takes it is not instinct. We've relied on instinct for human connection for our existence. But my premise now is there is a ton of science on how to do this well. It's actually becoming a, a field that we can develop. And so there's rigor to this. What's the deep work that we do? And then finally leaving tracks. That's a phrase that my dad came up with. He was He's a career firefighter for the Forest Service. And he was always pushing on me that when you go in and you do your mission set, you always make sure you leave deep tracks after you're gone. And, and our saying in, in the Green Berets is work yourself out of a job. What's your impact that you leave behind? What's your legacy? And so getting clear on that and having that inform everything you do so that you know your, your greatest contribution is, is capacity, walking away from those you work with and letting them do it on their own. Uh, so those are the four areas uh, of rooftop leadership Chris, at a macro level. So when we were chatting about these four pillars, uh, they're all, you could tell your passion and depth of knowledge in each one of those. But when you started talking about human terrain, Chris and I both leaned in. Like we were like, ooh, we, you know, this is something that nobody's really talking about. I haven't heard people talking about and you could tell you are a wealth of knowledge. So if you don't mind, let's, let's dig into that. What does it look like and how, how do we spend this next 20 minutes getting better? at reading the terrain and, and navigating it? So a lot, we don't talk about it. Um, it's generally the field of anthropologists and social scientists and academics. And it became a field for us as Green Berets because we have to deal with, we have to work by, with, and through indigenous people to move them to take action. And nine times out of 10, there's going to be a cultural divide between us and them. Just mm -hmm. like there's tons of cultural divides here in this country today. What we've learned, Benj, is that there is a lot more below the surface of the human terrain than what we ever realized. So, for example, it's easy in the United States to look at someone of a different skin color or socioeconomic status or different region and say, ah, that's the difference. That's the reason that I'm A and she's B. What we know is that below the surface is, is a much more... Uh, intricate and uh, actually available human being that we can connect to, uh, you know, in, in all kinds of ways, regardless of culture, language, things like that. 
So what I tell people is think of human, your human nature as an iceberg, right? On, on the tip of that iceberg, you've got the transactional world. That's what's above the waterline. You've got PowerPoint slides and sales pitches and, you know, Game of Thrones and all that stuff, right? But below the waterline is a 250,000-year-old mammal. And it's a meaning-seeking, emotional, social story animal, right? Meaning-seeking, emotional, social story animal. Because if we understand just that at a fundamental level, we already have a decisive competitive advantage in the world. We, we know some things about human beings that are real opportunities for connection that most people ignore. For example, meaning seeking. Humans are the only mammals on the planet who actually take action based off of purpose. You know, we can actually mentalize, look into the future. And, you know, Simon Sinek is right. People don't buy what you do. They buy why you do it. Purpose is essential in how humans navigate the world. Yet as leaders, we almost always leave purpose out of the equation. We leave out the why when we're talking to our employees about a policy change, or we leave out the why when we're talking to a client about a new direction that we're taking with a product. And so, um, or we leave out, you know, the other day I was talking to uh, Benj, I was talking to um, uh, a C-suite executive who, an SLT member who runs the command center for their commercial bank. And they've been at this for almost a month and, and he was about to drop. And I was like, what's your purpose in this crisis? And he just stared at me. He hadn't even thought about it. Mm -hmm. And the second that we had him write for two minutes on what his purpose was in the crisis, he's like, oh, it's to make sure that the bank is still standing and my people are okay. He literally changed in that moment. And, you know, and he was a vapor trail and, and it, back to, back to the grind. So um, that, that, component right there is the baseline component for human terrain. That's just one example. We can talk about all of them, um, but they are, it's super important to understand our nature and that nature of being meaning seeking, emotional, social story animals is so huge in how we navigate our world. Today's episode is sponsored by Keystone Search. CEOs, owners, and visionaries Having the right integrator can literally create rocket fuel for your business. Hiring the wrong one is expensive and can even damage the business you've worked so hard to build. The team at Keystone Search is expert at helping visionaries hire their ideal integrator. Keystone has conducted successful integrator searches across the country, and they are proud to say when EOS Worldwide needed a new integrator in 2016, Keystone was the firm of choice. If hiring a Rockstar Integrator is in your future, go to www.keystonesearch.com to download more information or give them a call. Keystone Search is here to help you. So how do we, how do we, how do you assess? Let's, let's take it very granular back to you guys in Afghanistan. You walk into a new village. What does that assessment look like? What are you looking for? Well, yeah, I want to know. I, first thing is I want to know the emotional temperature of that village, which is the second uh, component I talked about, about human nature. We're emotional creatures. What is the emotional temperature in that village? Because it doesn't, you know, <clears throat> we operate off emotion. You know, the limbic brain doesn't even understand language, but it understands emotion and it takes action off emotion. Million dollar consultant Alan Weiss says logic makes people think emotion makes people act. And this is true. So if I go into a village 
and I'm assessing that village. The first thing I'm assessing is the emotional temperature of that village. I want to know where they are emotionally. How do they feel? How do they feel about us? How do they feel about their government? Because we blow this off all the time. I don't care how you feel. I just want to tell you what we're, no. If you don't care how they feel, then you just literally created a social insurgent. So Scott, let me let me hit pause there for a moment because I, you know, I'm a visual person, right? So I'm visualizing you uh, and your team, you know, going in for that first time and and taking that temperature. Yeah. Are you going in there with any assumptions or preconceived ideas? Or is your mindset open? Yeah. You know, to 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 hear what they're going to tell you. It's a balance because, you know, you could, you could walk into an ambush. Exactly. Uh, you, could, you could hit an IED. Um, they could, um, you know, they could, they could try to, they could try to trick you. Yeah. On. So you have to really, I mean, it's a real, it's just like life, right? When we go into situations, we, we, we have to know what our, what our red lines are. It's what I call them. Red lines, what we won't cross. Okay. You know, I have to be clear on what my, what are my goals? What are the goals of the other party? And then what are the red lines? What am I not going to cross here? You know, what am I not going to sacrifice? What am I not going to compromise? Now, if I'm not clear on all three of those, I shouldn't walk into that village and I shouldn't walk into that client engagement, you know, uh, because I'm not clear. Uh, but if I have clarity of those three things, and then so I'm going to, I'm going to be as open as I possibly can. I'm going to be as open as I possibly can. And, and, and the reality is, we can be really open. Like we can do a, there's a lot of things we can do, Chris, in, 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 in reading the human terrain that do not compromise our integrity or put us at risk. For example, uh, and I'll just show the football a little bit on the human connection front. Um, we can ask thoughtful, open-ended questions right out of the gate that allow the other party to respond in narrative. And then we can ask two follow-up questions after that that will almost guaranteed accelerate trust with the other party. And they have nothing to do with the deal. They have nothing to do with the engagement, right? They have to do with that personal connection, just like, you know, interviews you've done where you've said, okay, you know, um, it's at this point I made a connection and it's, it's below the waterline. It's emotional. It's interpersonal. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I want to stay open. I want to stay as open as I can. And I'm looking for that emotion. You know, I want to get their emotional temperature binge. I want to know where they, where they, you know, kind of where they stand, how they feel about us, uh, what their perception is of us. And then once I have a handle on that, then we can start to talk about how do we get their emotional temperature to a place where they are ready to listen? Because mm -hmm. if you're emotionally aroused in a way that, you know, that you are, you don't feel safe. Yeah. Uh, you can't hear the other party. Right. Physiologically, you can't hear the other party. So when you said uh, an open-ended question with two follow-up questions, are those stock questions for you, or is this this you know years of training and navigation and uh, improv? Uh, they are not stock questions, but I do have a. I am starting to become a questionologist, uh, as <laughs> as the author Warren Berger says in his book, "Beautiful Questions," which I highly recommend to any business owner. Um, and we, what we know through brain science is that uh, questions are really, really uh, resonant with, uh, with the other party. There, there is a level of brain activity that happens when, when, when open-ended questions are asked that the, the other party is validated, the other party feels more connected, uh, the other party feels safer 
when we start to ask questions. So, so Chris, I, you know, I might have a few questions. Like for example, if I'm going into a Pashtun village, the first thing I'm probably going to talk about is farming. I grew up farming. Uh, I, you know, I, uh, I grew up around tobacco farming, which is, you know, for, for my family was basically, you know, right at subsistence farming. And my dad always said it was the only farming that you ever did that you slowly starved to death. And, uh, and I would actually say that to, you know, elders and farmers and they would get a laugh out of it because they farm the same way. Farming sucks for them. So I might just ask some questions about farming and what they're growing and when's their harvest season and, and what, have, what have been some of the challenges this year with their farm. And guess what? While we're having that conversation, they love to talk about their gardens. They love to talk about what they're growing. Uh, the emotional temperature starts to come down. We're not talking about the Taliban. We're not talking about democracy. We're, we're making a human connection, uh, but they're doing all the talking. I'm just asking questions. And as we do that, I'm getting them closer and closer to a point where they're ready to listen. Scott, I'm just taking this into you know, leadership rooms that I've seen. And I think too often we assume that there's a deep level of trust in the room as leaders. Um, Cause we're, we're just projecting and not really looking. Uh, what are some signs that we need to slow down and, and move into question trust building mode? If you go into an environment and this could be in your business, or this could be if you're trying to build a relationship with an outside agency. And this is also part of the human terrain stuff that I teach. If you go into that arena and you notice that there are in groups and out groups, do you know what I'm talking about? You know where you like, you see these groups that are kind of breaking off and are hanging out together. Like uh, middle school. Huh? Like it's, middle school. It's just like middle school. <laughs> and it happens all the time. And it's actually happening more and more today in America. And it's called in group, out group behavior. So what that basically is, there's always, see, this is where we miss it on trust when it comes to human training. We say, okay, we don't have any trust with this organization or we don't have any trust inside my business, right? My finance team doesn't trust my ops team. Well, that's probably true, but you have trust in the business. The finance team trusts the finance team, right? Mm -hmm. And the yeah. ops team trusts the ops team. That's called bonding trust. They trust those little, it's just like they're tribes. This is what we've been doing for 250,000 years. They, they each trust the people close to them who look like them, who go through what they go through, who have the same budget. But when you get to the edge of the resource boundary, when you get to, the, to, where, to where scarcity starts to come in or status, then it becomes tribal. We go tribal. We start to look at the ops team as a rival tribe, wow. right? Because there isn't an overarching vision that bridges those two organizations together. And that's a leadership problem. Right. But the indicator is actually that in group, out group behavior. It's usually some kind of inter team division, inter team fisher. Um, but you can see it. It's palpable. It's like you, if you're open to it, you'll see that in group, out group dynamic. Um, if you just open your eyes and, and those little rivalries that are going on there, that's one way to see if trust is, uh, is trust is challenged. That's so interesting uh, because I'm thinking about a locker room. And back to my middle school, I've got a lot of middle school scars. So we won't go there today, but uh, back to my to middle school, you've got those in groups and out groups everywhere, but you get that basketball team or that football team or that soccer team in the locker room and it all disappears. No matter what the school day was looked like, they have that common purpose in the locker room and it goes away real quick. You got it. And that's, that's, that's what Robert Putnam talks about in his book, uh, Bowling Alone, is that 
you know, the, the, the organizations who have what, what, I, what I call bridging trust. Okay. So if you know, you're always going to have in groups and out groups, it's just what we do as humans. It's how we survive. Right. That's the third letter in my little formula of social. We are social creatures. I don't know if you guys are doing this on purpose, but like we are wired to connect with each other. Right. And uh, honestly, Chris, this morning you were saying how you kind of feel, you just, I don't know, man, it just feels, you know, I think it's probably because also you're navigating a new arena where the social dynamic has been pulled back, you know, the physical social dynamic. Mm -hmm. and, and that has an effect on us as humans. Like we're, we, we sit on top of the food chain, not because we have fur or fangs or claws, right? We're above the great white and the Bengal tiger because of our ability to group. We form teams, all mammals form teams, but we form teams better than any mammal on the planet, right? And this is something that we're starting to really see now through research is that it's our grouping skills, our storytelling skills, what we did around the fire, fire, that, that fire pit at night that actually accelerated uh, our social inputs. And so when we take that away, it has a huge input. Um, so so the, the human connection piece, the social connection piece is so, so very important. Um, and, and, you know, that in-group, out-group dynamic, it's going to happen. But if we want to get beyond it, we have to have a leadership vision that bridges that, that bridges those, those uh, group agendas into a higher agenda. Daniel Coyle in his book, uh, The Culture Code, says the three things every high-performing culture must have, safety, human connection, and shared vision, right? So um, that's true with, with our clients. It's true with any, any tribe that we're building. You got to get past those in-groups and out-groups. Yeah, you know, and I, and I see you've got, you know, your vibe attracts your tribe, right, uh, up on your mantle there. And in one of my favorite books by Sebastian Younger is Tribe, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and he talks about, you know, how um, we have a strong instinct to belong to a group yeah. that has, I, I think it's uh, meaning and purpose, right? Kind of what you're, what you're talking about. Yeah. And uh, that, that definitely one of my favorite books on, on this topic. Mine too. And the other thing that Younger says in that book, and um, I'm using him a lot in my rooftop book that I'm writing, writing now. And another thing that Younger says that I really like is he says, and this is where you guys, human terrain is so important. Because if we understand this, man, you've got the secret sauce, right? He, Younger says that hum it takes about 25,000 years right, for external factors to really have to, uh, to change us at a cellular yeah. level, right? Well, if we didn't start farming and domesticating animals and speaking coded language until 10,000 years ago, and, and everything up until that point was, was primal, hunter, gatherer, you know, uh, tribal behavior, then for another 15,000 years, we're going to be tribal. That's, that's what I'm talking about below the waterline. That's where we live. That's who we are. That's why we say things like, I see red whenever this happens to me. It's why when we get uh, upset, we can't physiologically hear the other party. I mean, these are all 250,000 year primal responses. Yeah. And if we, if, we, if we just quit buying into this hype, that somehow a 200, 200 plus year liberal democracy undoes 250,000 years of cellular hardwiring, right? That's what we're missing it. We're getting all caught up in this modern 
tip of the iceberg thing. Yeah. That, that ain't where people live. That's not where deals are made. That's not where uh, friendships are made. And in this crisis coming out of it on the other side, the people who can get down below the waterline and read the human terrain and connect deeply, they're going to own every room. So you hit on the meaning seeking, the social, the emotional. Tell us how the storytelling comes into this. So, you know, I'm a, I'm a child of Appalachia, so I've always been a fan of story instinctively. And, and all humans are storytellers. We're actually, uh, I went to a big idea workshop with Sean Coyne a few weeks ago, and, and he calls us homo narens, story animals. And his whole premise on this is that 70,000 years ago, there was a massive volcano in Indonesia that took the human race down to less than 10,000 people. And as a result of that, that's where we've walked storytelling back to. It's the Homo sapiens coming out on the other side of that started telling stories, both through drawings and gestures. And they were all based on survival. They were all based on lessons learned. Yeah. Story, you know, is a psychotechnology that allows us to, uh, you know, bring another party, another listener into our universe. They actually feel like they're in the story and they are experiencing the lesson that we had that day. So if I got, you know, if I, if I, if I walk into the fire pit with you boys, you know, tonight and I'm all cut up and I'm like, let me tell you why saber tooth tigers make crappy pets. Like you're leaning in, man. <laughs> you're in. You're in. And, and you can, you can learn and uh, experience what I went through without getting scuffed up. I mean, that's my whole talk about the generosity of scars is that storytelling is a psychotechnology that allows us to accelerate learning exponentially through the use of narrative because it has an emotional resonance with the other party. Uh, it, it, create, it, it, it delivers purpose and meaning. It delivers memory. Um, it's got all the goods. It's all that meaning-seeking, emotional, social. It's got all of it. And so if we have narrative competence, then we have this innate ability to deliver ideas. We still love story to this day. You know, no matter how transactional we are, we love stories. It's just that we don't use them to the degree that we could. And uh, I'm really trying to get business owners to become more narrative competent in how they navigate the human terrain, using story not only more in the delivery but in how they communicate with their other party, with their clients, and let them tell stories to, to us. Scott, I want to ask you for an example of what that looks like from a leader using story in the business. But while I give you a second to think about that, I want to, I want to plug your TED Talk. We'll put it in the show notes. But if you want to see a dynamic, unique, and powerful example of what Scott's talking about, uh, his second TED Talk, he's, a, he's now a veteran, The Generosity of Scars will, uh, is amazing, absolutely worth your time. We'll put that in the show notes. So after that little time out there, Scott, what does that look like for a leader in our businesses using story? Okay, I'll give you, I'll give you two very poignant examples, if that's okay. One inside your business with your employees, one with a client. Um, and these are both coaching clients of mine. And remember, let's go back to COIL, Psychologically safe, connected, and a shared vision is what every high-performing culture requires. Well, uh, this president of a commercial bank was having trouble connecting with his folks. He didn't feel like he was kind of leaving the legacy behind that he wanted. His associate engagement scores were not great at all. Uh, morale was pretty low. And I'd been coaching him for a while, um, and we were doing a story workshop uh, with his SLT. And I was trying to – you know, the rest of the SLT had bought into this, and they were sharing – their backstories with their people at their all hands, their leadership conferences. It was having a great effect. 
this guy was reluctant to do so. We'll call him Joe. Uh, finally, we did a, uh, asked a question at the storytelling workshop with the SLT. Uh, why do you show up and lead your people every day? Where does that come from in your life? Um, he got very emotional about it. We went back to his office, talked about it, and he shared with me that, that his mother had had a mental health issue all through high school, and um, she tried to kill herself in front of him. She had a razor blade on her throat when he was a junior in high school. They took her away to an institution, and she never came home. And by this time, like, he's, you know, and he's like, and, and he goes, and that's why I over-index now because I don't ever want my future to be determined by my past. And I'm like, brother, you got to tell that story. So he did at his all hands, all his associates there. He told that story and he wrapped it with, look, I know you guys think that I'm aloof. I know you think I'm not connected. He goes, but you know, I just didn't want to go down the path that my, you know, that, 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 that my mom had gone down. I wanted to build my own future. I wanted, and by this time, people in there are like, just like they're, they're, they're leaning in they're on the edge of their seat. You can feel people breathing in the room when he's done standing ovation everybody comes up. there's a line out the door to talk to him his associate engagement score this was a year and a half ago it's gone up 12 points and it stayed up there right and and and, and it connected him with his people in a way that they just never saw him before you know and it required vulnerability it required relatability um but it wasn't a dumping session it was a purposeful story to help his people understand why he leads the way he leads and where it comes from in his life that was the purpose right Flip it to a financial advisor I work with named Josh up in Chicago. His job is to bring prospects in who are looking to put their money somewhere. And, you know, um, that he always gets a lot of folks who are pretty skeptical with where they're going to put their money. This particular gentleman had grown up his entire life around a railroad. He had worked in the railroad industry his whole life. Him and his wife saved, 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 built quite a portfolio, but was never happy with any of the financial advisors. So he's sitting there with Josh. They're, you know, in for like two hours asking questions that not even a financial advisor would ask, you know. And finally, Josh was like, look, sir, I have to tell you something. He goes, you know, it's interesting. I love trains. I, I've always liked trains. But you know who really likes trains? My little, my son, my youngest son, uh, Joey, loves trains. And uh, he loves anything cartoon with trains. He loves to play with trains. And the other day, my grandmother or his grandmother called and said, hey, I want to take Joey uh for the day on a, on a train in Chicago, just for a train ride, can, can we do that? And I was like, of course. And he goes, but you know what I didn't do? He said, I didn't, I didn't ask where the engineer got his certification. I didn't ask what the maintenance record was of the train. You know, I trusted my mom to do what would be the right thing because she's my mom and I had to trust her. And I'm asking you to do the same with me. And his wife said, give us just a second. They walked out. First few minutes came back in and they moved the portfolio there. Um, small story, but both of those illustrate narrative competence. The use of storytelling in real time to meet your goals and the goals of the other party. That's all it is. And, and it, it, they need to be purposeful, but those are just two and I've got dozens of them. I mean, it, it, it exponentially up levels your impact and your connection and uh, the achievement of your goals with the other party. Whether, and we look, we do the same thing. When I go into these villages, I talk about tobacco farming. And yeah. I, I, I batted a thousand. I opened 113 villages in Afghanistan. Wow. And every one of them, I got in there through storytelling. So Scott, uh, we're totally out of town, time, but I can't help ask this question. Give, I, I do not feel my storytelling competence is that high as a leader. So what, do you have a couple, <laughs> one, or a couple tips that you could give us that would help us um, maybe even remember to do this. Where do we pull the stories from? What, what does it look like? 
Yeah. The first thing I would just have to say is just realize that most of society around you today is going to tell you not to do this. That's why you feel that you, you've been, you, we've been conditioned most of our life to think that we don't have a story or if we have a story, it's not something anybody wants to hear, or it's not the time and place to tell it in a business setting. Yeah. Uh, and that's one of the unfortunate realities of the transactional world we live in is that, you know, that stuff like that has kind of fallen below the waterline. So the first thing I would say is realize that you do have a story and this is not kumbaya stuff, right? Like this is the stuff. If I have one hour to teach green berets, either shooting their weapon more effectively or or storytelling, I'm going to teach them storytelling, right? Because that psychotechnology is going to help them move through. So realizing that you have a story is the first thing. The next thing I would say is watch that TED talk because I kind of tell you how to do it. Go back and just find a pivotal moment in your life that you, that you struggled. Identify that pivotal moment. What was the struggle that you went through? Uh, how did you overcome it? And what did you learn? And how do you change? How did you change? That's the hero's journey in its essence. And you'll if, even if you don't buy that, use the same framework on one of your employees or a client and talk about them that way. And you'll validate them uh, at a much higher level than if you just did an introduction. Yeah. And, and you know, for our listeners out there who are, uh, who are really intrigued about this component right telling your story um reach out to scott uh, go to rooftopleadership.com um email him text him call him he will answer you yeah and we do tons of training on this it's, yeah you know we do a lot of training on this and there's uh, a lot of video blogs uh binge at my website that are free that we talk about this yeah all right we'll get people there and get people to you senior leadership teams uh, like Scott said, there's videos, there's content, there's workshops. He'll come to you, train your people. Um, and if you haven't gotten to, to see uh, Scott's both intensity and generosity as a human being, it's an amazing pairing. Thanks for being with us today. I know our audience got a lot out of it, no doubt in my mind about that. And, uh, you know, we hit on human terrain today. We might have to have you come back and talk about human connection, leaving tracks and the deep work. Um, we might have to turn this into a series. Well, thank you. And, and on the other, remember on the other side of this COVID coming out of this thing, the leaders who make the human connections and read the human terrain, because people are going to be scared. They're mm. not going to know what, where to go and what to do. Those are the ones that are going to make them feel safe and make them take action. I was about to ask you for one last piece of advice. Open-ended. There you got it. Love it. Tractionville, share this. Other people need to hear it. Uh, you've been giving us, I appreciate all the five-star ratings we have in the Apple iTunes store. I saw that this morning and uh, just felt uh, very grateful. Thank you for that. If you haven't left us a review, will you take a minute? Uh, that's all we ask. Thanks. And we'll see you back next week for Tractionville Tuesday.